Hello, and welcome to Concept Aware. I am Sibylla Smith. Here I host unscripted conversations with contemporary photographers, curators, and critics to discuss concept development and the photo bookmaking process. I do so through the lens of Concept Aware, my trademarked framework that identifies the layers of the creative process to highlight how artists bring their ideas to fruition in image, book, and exhibition form. To learn more about how to apply my creative framework to your work, join one of my online small group workshops. You may find dates and details on my website, jsibillasmith.com. Also available is my Paris Photo in Your Pocket. Five hours of curated content and exclusive interviews live from the world's largest international photo fair happening this November. I offer to take you with me virtually and share my decade of experience at this fair to bring you highlights on trends within contemporary photography and the latest in global photo books. Today, I am thrilled to welcome Preston Ganaway, a Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist who brings us Remember Me, her breathtakingly graceful and intimate book that is a chronology of life, love, loss, and the abiding ties that bind. Preston transcends one young man coming of age to speak to our universal touchstones of memory and meaning. We are so glad you are here. Let's begin. Welcome, Preston. I am so pleased to meet you. And I have to let you know, my path to your book was a direct line. When I saw it, I knew I needed to connect with you and learn about your work and how this visual poetry came to be. Wow, what a gift of a book is Remember Me. So firmly grounded in the cycles and circles of life. The circularity of this unfolding story is etched as the rings found within a cross section of a tree trunk. Your book walks us into the depths with intimacy, mystery, a stirring sense of wonder, with a hint of danger, maybe denial. There are signs, yet before we know any actual story, we, your viewers, your readers, are with you, we enter as fellow sojourners. Remember Me is rooted in transcendence, in the power of observation, which, as poet Mary Oliver teaches us, is our human superpower. For if we enter into relationship with all the markings which surround our own and all the creatures we share this planet with, we see, we truly see, that circles and cycles are eternal. We are forever the changer and the changed. Also, like Oliver, you too revere the power of place and how this grows into a sense of belonging. It is the root of all your storytelling 
Bravely, you allow the weaving of your own journey to meander within the one you are chronicling with your camera. Preston, you yourself chose to change, to step through the fourth wall of photojournalism and to not be the fly on the wall, but placing your own emotions and perceptions into the fabric of the stories you wish to tell. Your courageous choices made this circular story grow, making it possible to root and branch your story, riches, Carolyn's and EJ's pushing through the dirt and reaching far from where it began. The circularity just continually reverberates in this deeply human story. Rich having lost his mother as he watches his son lose his. EJ playing Simba in his high school play. You being 44 as this book came to life, the same age as Carolyn was when she died, and the seed of this story had been so recently planted. The echoes of sensitivity you were able to capture and materialize within the pages of this object, this book, how the me so subtly rendered within the title of Remember Me the octopus on the sink, EJ's drawing of what looks like an octopus on the back cover, and the new reality of his ambitions to be a marine biologist. The fact that we are so close to dropping this podcast on the anniversary of the original article, October 15th, 2006, which ran with the headline, Remember Me, which is the title of your book. The imprints and tangles you offer us with visual analogies at the beginning of the book plant an awareness of a perception. We feel there's depth and breath coming. It's a feeling you evoke in our very bones. Before we even know the title of the book or see your name, you have put us on alert. You provided breadcrumbs like those in a fairy tale or as your text alludes to, the foggy feeling of perhaps waking from a bad dream, though in this case realizing it is not one. This book is about so many things. As you mention, loss, memory, the rocky road of coming of age, but, or I should say, however, it is in essence, in my opinion, a concentric ring of love stories, an ode to the abiding love of family in all its configurations and evolutions, a bittersweet truth of the stories, of our stories, of the ties that bind. So thank you for this story and thank you for this object it's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Wow, I am. <laughs> I, that is the most wonderful thing I've ever heard about this project. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know. I'm like just so moved. Um, wow, I'm like tearing up. Thank you so much for putting the time um, and all the thought and energy into um, into reading it and paying attention. I mean, like you 
said with Mary Oliver. I mean, that's it is a superpower, mm-hmm. and you are definitely wielding it well. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm a little um, addicted to Mary Oliver almost as much as my photo book collection is my collection of her writings. Yeah, and it is about observation, but I mean. It became obvious as I um, explored who you are and how you tell stories that that your superpower is telling untold stories, or I'd even say your mission or, well, you tell me your inspiration, your motivation, but I think it's your gift. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always been, I think, drawn to stories that are more surprising um you know overlooked maybe mm. um maybe would use that word um yeah i think um yeah um one of the things that's so interesting about this project too is because it's ongoing uh there's this sort of digging now to try to figure out like what what is the story that it's becoming mm. um you know it was it did I think in the bookmaking process I was able to sort of see it uh more holistically and tie things together and it's funny how many of those little motifs and decisions that really make the book what it is like came together in that process Mm. um like rather late I'm considering I've been photographing this work for so long um I love those little satisfying you know, breadcrumbs, as you said, or, um, you know, little bookends. It's just like sort of the um, the storytelling parameters that come mm-hmm. together. And and since I'm still working on this project, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, where it's going next. Mm-hmm. And um, there's sort of some dis- discovery in it and an openness that I try to bring to it as well. Absolutely. Well, it's so interesting the the openness and the discovery. Um, ironically, I want to go back and I want to go forward. What I want to go back to to underline what you just said is in the bookmaking, allowing you this holistic vision. It's where you saw the motifs of your decisions when you were making them. You didn't see all those through lines, um, and it's like that kind of hindsight, uh, but also that reflection and and the observation. Like, I love that because when I'm teaching Concept Aware, I'm trying to talk about what I call the continuum of the creative process, because it has parts. And for me, it's really helpful to articulate which part I'm actually in. You kind of can relax there, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. like work mm-hmm. around it. So that, that mulling part, that whole process of you seeing where you took a right and not a left or, or where these hints add up as breadcrumbs is so essential. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, that's going back to looking at what, or referring to what you just said, but I want to go back because I really feel you made a conscious choice that was all about openness and discovery. It's that idea that Um, I think you put it weighed into emotional intimacy, like that, that was you, like that was a hardcore choice. Mm -hmm. It's not like it came naturally at the beginning at all, actually. Right. Yeah, exactly. 
yeah, no, it was a conscious choice. Uh, <laughs> it was very much a, like a learning. Um, so I guess just to explain a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you've done your homework, obviously, <laughs> in ways that I, the listeners haven't, I'm sure. Huh? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I was originally drawn to photography, I think, because it allowed me to be this uh, fly on the wall. And I think I was sort of, I was comfortable in that position. Mm-hmm. being a passive observer I was always pretty quiet and sensitive um, around some oftentimes bigger personalities mm-hmm. so I was most comfortable you know just receding into the mm-hmm. background and and then I also loved with photography I could just be around other people in other places and I mean that was just so I mean I think for so many of us that was such a draw um, just new experiences mm. and but I just relied so much on that, like, oh, but I'm not here. You can just ignore me. Um, and <laughs> and then, in, you know, in the process of working, you know, as a community photojournalist, mm-hmm. I just really, um, you know, you have to go talk to people and you have to be out there in the community. And and then I had a fantastic mentor, Dan Abib, um, who really taught me, you know, how to get those more personal intimate moments and how to you know start to form those relationships and um you know the ongoing consent and the collaboration Mm. and yeah and it was really during the beginning years of photographing the saint pierre family that i really start started to try to implement that Mm. um and so you know i look at that as really the beginning kind of of my career and my work as I think about even though I've been working and photographing for a while, it was really that project, you know, in like 2006, mm-hmm. 2007, mm-hmm. that I felt like I was really starting to figure out what I was doing. Yeah, it's fun that you used, um, I mean, you use metaphor so, so well. And when you talk about wading into emotional intimacy, that's exactly what I felt like happens in the course of this book. That like before the title page, our feet are wet. Like we're in there and, and it's unclear whose journey, but we know we're part of it. So like to be able to do that in a handful of photographs um, and like you had this little snippet of text and that's even before you introduce the book, like that's beautiful. And it's also reflective really an analogy to that idea of of, of how things happen, like how things can happen in a split second and the changes yeah. in, in our world. And I love that, I don't know where you mentioned this, but the idea of, um, I mean, obviously you started to speak in metaphor. That's where <laughs> I always have these bizarre analogies, right? So of course I thought of Mary mm-hmm. Oliver, but I honestly, this is, really silly but true the first analogy I had was that you were like Charlotte in in um uh what's the name of the book um oh my gosh Charlotte's Web yeah yeah this idea that you were up on the rafters like gaining all this wisdom but then like (laughs) you like dropped down and then you got into it it was that was my first analogy which is kind of bizarre yeah <laughs> no that's fun yeah I go back and revisit that story that was yeah. yeah because I felt like 
it's that dropping in. It's really interesting. I seem to be on a roll this season of podcasts about that idea of community, that the story is coming personally through community or through whatever the ties are, whether it be family or ancestry or um, and 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 how that circularity happens, but it's very, very rooted. And then it becomes collaborative. And, and what I love to talk about is being in conversation with your work. So that's what this really reverberates, the echoing of how much you had to be in conversation with the work. I love what you said, the idea that where is it going? You were doing that all along, that idea mm -hmm. of just respond, like a call and response to the work and understanding it from a different vantage point. It's not like you did this linear process and then went for it. You just went into the abandon, let all the circularity happen, and then figured it out in hindsight. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, it's, it's both scary and wonderful. <laughs> I think it yeah. yields the best results, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. I don't really think, um, I don't know, in, in so many ways, I feel like I'm such a <laughs> a better person or the person I want to be when I'm working, you know, like mm -hmm. in my creative self. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That because I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I sort of do that. I don't know. I don't think of myself as like a risk taker or someone who's just like jumping in. I mean, I guess I do that to some degree, but um, yeah, I feel like, um photography and you know the creative life sort of allows me to sort of live in this way that I feel like is transcends my everyday life sure that I mean I know I think that makes a lot of sense and I think it does to me because um well kind of what you described of your previous way of working was like I'm just you know <laughs> I'm not here, just ignore me, um, was mm -hmm. one way of thinking. But the idea is that um, being in this realm, as you call it, the creative self, I think offers that transcendence, offers that dropping in. I mean, what's happening, frankly, is you connect to your humanity and then you're mm -hmm. just telling our story like a human, the human story, like loss is in every one of our lives, obviously. Tragedy is in every one of our lives. It's just when and where, et cetera. Um, so I see that transcendence and, and it's interesting because in these stories and the people I've been talking to of late, um, I came up with, it's fun how the books that I explore in build on themselves. And I came upon a definition of empathy. And, and then ironically, literally another photographer author used the word an empathic eye. And it's like the idea that empathy is without judgment. So to have an empathic eye, you're going in open. That's what I I saw yeah. as this, yeah, the circularity of when you talked about being open to discovery. Um, and, and that takes risk and that takes being comfortable with not being comfortable and, and certainly not mm -hmm. knowing there's a lot of not knowing, uh, 
that you have to just wade through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to get there. Yeah, I think definitely. I think that's so interesting. And then I don't know if you know, because <laughs> it's so it's much easier for me. I, I get to ride shotgun on people's process, right? So I actually <laughs> get a vantage point that's unique. And so I see your power of metaphor. Like, I mean, what's really interesting is it comes in like a feather, but it really is kind of like a cast iron frying pan. Like, you know, <laughs> it comes with a kick. And I don't mm-hmm. know if you know, like, can you see your evolution of that? Of how you knew, like, it's, it, it again brings me to Mary Oliver, like when she'll, will, you know, she'll talk about like the imprint of the animal that laid in the grass. I mean, you do that visually. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you're aware of the trajectory of that. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think there's a certain, um, you know, I I guess I don't know. I'm not really (laughs) sure what I'm aware of. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I really try to just work intuitively. Oh, sorry. Just sorry. Something startled me. Sorry. <laughs> but yes, your intuitiveness though, what, what, yeah, like I'm trying to begin, I'm trying to get to the beginning of that because it's strong. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's also a, a power in being, you know, confined in one space, you know, confined with these two people in this one space in this one state and geographic area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every, you know, I visit them and I try to go, you know, photograph different times of the year and sort of different things. I mean, things change, but there's mm-hmm. also so much stuff that stays the same. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love is that, you know, if you sit there long enough, <laughs> you can, find a photograph where you didn't see one before you know there's just this like year after year of like being in the same sort of space with the same sort of people and and then trying to make a different photograph or something that elevates I mean you know they're very middle class and um there's just a lot of real you know mundaneness Mm -hmm. to their lives just like all of ours and so being forced to kind of look at that again and again and and try to find other images that connect maybe to their experience or my experience in the more general area. Um, so I do think that there's been some like conscious thinking with that and trying to keep the project moving forward. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does. But what's interesting is, I, I I mean, I started to list them because it's like, okay, the imprint on the couch, right? And then realizing mm-hmm. the couch is the same from like over 20 years. Um, uh, fingerprints on a, on a, on a window. Um, mm-hmm. But then things like the tar on the pavement and how that looks like mm-hmm. the tree that you you saw mm-hmm. um that then reverberates it's just that way that it goes circular and mm-hmm. one of the ones that really caught me 
kind of in the gut is the rope. That photograph mm. of Rich throwing out mm-hmm. and EJ's in like a stream in a tube and and he kind of looks excited. He kind of looks scared. But it's also this idea like the lifeline, right. the mm-hmm. through threads, the, the letting go part. Like, you know, mm-hmm. EJ's mm-hmm. going down that stream and Rich isn't going to be on that stream with him. You know, all those ways that that mm-hmm. things hit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I guess, one of the more cast iron <laughs> metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah and, yeah, and it can be challenging. I mean, you're talking about, you know, I'm like thematically trying to talk about such big weighty things mm. mm-hmm. that, you know, and especially since the beginnings of this project were so rooted in photojournalism, where you're trying to explain literally what's going on. And there's such high impact moments that a lot of my work with this project is then trying to take away information Mm. and and kind of make it a little bit more subtle and more feather-like and less cast ironing <laughs> and and I've had um you know the, another uh, curator who was really influential um showing him this work early on Seth Feeman uh who was in Norfolk at the time when I well we actually didn't really overlap but I kind of know him through that mm-hmm. um and you know and he was one of the first people to sort of say taking away the fever pitch mm. images was a key mm. thing. And, and then also the circular, I think he mentioned that of, um, you know, ways of, you know, setting up sequences and motifs in a more circular way, mm-hmm. um, letting things sort of reappear. I think I first thought about that, um, by by what um by something he had told me mm, it's interesting and because, I think that's yeah yeah what what I was thinking is you made that motion it is um the whole idea and we'll turn to it of of editing and sequencing um but it's that I love thinking about the curator's eye because as an independent curator the way I describe what I do is I'm making art with art like I'm telling a story with your work um and and more than not it's in collaboration obviously but it's still this idea that my outsider perspective can see things in 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 a, in, in I see correlations that don't necessarily hit and 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 so I think that's so helpful and I think that speaks to all those layers of when you work with a photo editor or or a writer or anyone else who's going to be another set another creative set of eyes running alongside you but Mm -hmm. it makes me think about choreography I, I love dance right and when you think about how a dance has this movement and crescendos and you don't give it all away. You drop hints and same with cinematography. Mm-hmm. Like we're always creating this score. There's an orchestration. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just have to name another image that just cracked me right up. And that's the other thing. I do appreciate the wit that gets woven through here, which obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, how many of us have been in, in really overwhelming situations 
usually around dying, where we get absolutely hysterical over ridiculous things, right? And you've got <laughs> to, right? It's part mm -hmm. of what happens. It all gets woven together. But when you took the photograph of the driver's side of his car at 30,000 miles, hilarious, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny that you, uh, yeah, that's not one that I necessarily thought of as humorous, although I guess it is. I mean, there's a playfulness to it um, that that car is just like literally shredding. Um, yeah, and to me, it like speaks to, to so many different parts of life, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, it just felt like, like I kept thinking like in my mind, scars. Right. And mm -hmm. and it brings me back to the tarmac and all those dribbles. And, you know, so like there's the car taking the wear and tear like that's us. Like that's the inside. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, like, that's the inside. And I just yeah. love that you put in with the title like, yeah, here's the driver's side, which was rich and or EJ probably drove it now, too. But yeah. the idea that the wear and tear and that that thing still you know, putting along, it put on a lot of miles. It's like our internal miles, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was a real point of pride. I mean, Rich, you know, told me multiple times that that car was getting close to 300,000 miles. I mean, he was very <laughs> proud of that. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. And he's <laughs> loves that car. It's a green Honda CRV. <laughs> he's, he's now on his third one. So EJ inherited that one, and then Rich bought another one that was used, and Rich, uh, EJ inherited that. It, it's oh my gosh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's such it is sort of a richism. Um, <laughs> you know, he loves to say we don't pack up our tent. You know, we just keep going. You just keep going, even yeah. if the wheels are falling off. You just keep going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because you are really telling a grief story in parts and and if that isn't metaphorically what grief is right all your wheels are off or, or at the slightest thing blowing off um and how do you move forward yeah yeah no it's incredible as you put the weighty big things that you 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 travel us through and that's why this is a gift you know it it's one that every time you show up in an image right you are different and what you get is different. And so this just mm -hmm. is a gift that keeps giving, right? Yeah. Um, I know for me, I mean, uh, it hit so many levels um, and, and I'm so happy to have it. Uh, it's a companion in ways, mm -hmm. I think. Um, it certainly, I, I, I walked through a friend who passed away. I walked through the end of her life, literally mm -hmm. and specifically being asked, like her words, you'll hold my hand to the fire in all the ways I can say goodbye. And I did. Yeah. And that's a oh. privilege and a gift. Um, and then just how you see the weaving. So it was very, very um, personal. But I had thought too, in your hindsight, I, I, I put this as a note to myself, the cutting room floor. Like, I can't imagine mm -hmm. how many images you potentially thought of and how you got to this edit and this sequence. Really beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know, I've, I, 
people always ask the numbers and I forget to like look them up again like how many photographs <laughs> I I've taken oh wait 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 I think it's in the I can it's right here um I sometimes I count um 71 yeah out of 20,000 or something whoa I don't know I'd have to go back and look I'm not good with numbers um mm -hmm. but yeah an enormous amount yeah um I mean, working with other people is so important. Mm -hmm. uh, my partner, Nicole mm -hmm. Fruget, she's she's um, she's a photo editor by trade, and um, and she's been very much involved in all my work. Um, and then Stu, um, Stu Smith at Gost. I mean, really, so much of the you know, the editing and sequence was just a back and forth between the two of us sort of duking it out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and he came in, so I, you know, I've been living with this work for so long and in some ways it makes it really easier to edit because I'm able to use just time and, you know, whichever photos resonate with the more current ones, mm -hmm. um, just become, you know, or can remain compelling in some way. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so I I find that the earlier stuff is the easiest stuff to edit it just sort of edits itself in a way over mm -hmm. over years um but so and so I've been living with this stuff for so long and I'd sort of etched out a book sequence started to think about how that would look and then Stu you know came in totally cold uh which was really interesting wow. no real familiarity with the characters and the story and was just responding visually and you know from his own emotional you know experience and so yeah I'm really really happy with how it came out I thought it was um you know a, sort of a surprising process but it ended up being I think pretty pretty perfect and how that oh, how that yeah. all worked out I mean that whole idea of the sequence before the title page just blew me out mm -hmm. of the water, blew me out of the water. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. I think that was Stu's initial idea. And then we sort of hammered it out and it made sense. So the original stories that I did for the Concord Modern newspaper, um, you know, that was like the two years, well, about a year when Carolyn was alive and about a year after she was gone. And so that project, that's the prologue. So those images right. all come before the title page. Mm, I love that you use that term, the prologue of images. I'm going to quote you on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, super, super helpful and smart. And then kind of searingly sad because it's not a postscript, but I guess in ways it is because even when you interview uh, in the text with Rich, mm -hmm. his family photograph front and back of the day before his mom died mm -hmm. another one that like even that you have it that you thought of that that you put the front and the back mm -hmm. so important so yeah. important and that was one of those things that really came out <laughs> super late in the process mm -hmm. and I think that was like I think it was like a couple of months before we went to press that I even found that photo with Rich. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and then, 
you know, I just, I did a talk um, with Rich and EJ a couple of weeks ago in New yes. Hampshire, which was wonderful. Um, and Chelsea Conaboy, who wrote the original stories, mm. the newspaper stories, she'd mentioned that, um, you know, the book is about the sort of father and son, but it's bookend by these two moms. Mm. And mm. I loved that. And I hadn't really thought about it in that way, um, that they're the ones that begin and end everything and, and flow through it sort of like under the surface but they're still mm. you know and in, in so many ways the most important part of of that story wow it's so incredible because basically they have this overriding presence and they're absent mm-hmm. yeah wow yeah, that's a great way to put it wow that's really i yeah and i was thinking um, about your uh, presentation and what that was like for you. Um, talk about a full circle moment, literally a decade after mm-hmm. the beginning. And there you are back in Concord with the family talking about that. And I did also think about Chelsea. I thought about your relationship. Rich called you the girls, you know, <laughs> that popped in in that horrid mm-hmm. time, but that like have woven into his life forever. But what it was mm-hmm. like for you working with a writer, it's, I, I thought a lot about that because you've become a writer. And I love reading about mm. how you've written, like the recent piece in the Times. That's mm-hmm. you. So yeah, that's yeah, that cool. is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I prefer to be a photographer as opposed to a writer. Uh, but yeah, that's another thing with just being an artist, you're forced into it. Um, mm. And, you know, I just have to at a certain point just kind of embrace it as best you can. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I mean, it was very collaborative uh, when Chelsea and I were working together. Um, and then having editors, you know, I mentioned Dan. Uh, I loved that part, um, working in a team in a newsroom mm. and um, yeah, mm. yeah, it was really wonderful. But then now working solo is also interesting too. And um, I mean, solo-ish, you know, for the most part, mm. I'm there just photographing. Um, it, it it feels like a much more of a solitary thing now mm-hmm. you know that I'm experiencing mm-hmm. with Rich and EJ and but that's like what I go through with them is is, is the personal stuff right and I'm there as a friend and we we have our personal relationship that evolves but the creative stuff you know feels like something I'm sort of trying to figure out mostly on on my own mm-hmm. yeah I mean you're waiting in and I well I love that because honestly um it was obvious from the beginning, but you so respected EJ being the subject and 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 giving him the power of yes and no, and mm-hmm. and even now, um, mm-hmm. uh, that I think was really key. I also loved um, the idea that you talked about being forced into it. I thought about you being on stage like talk about mm-hmm. full circle from when you were quote afraid to talk <laughs> to mm-hmm. to being in that space mm-hmm. yeah yeah no it was wonder it was really amazing being able to sit up there and let them talk I mean I've you know that was one of the byproducts of the Pulitzer is that I had to get pretty comfortable um 
you know, talking about this work publicly and showing it. And, um, and it was, it was cute. Rich was pretty apprehensive. He had a fair amount of stage fright that I, I didn't know that about him. Uh, but EJ loves drama, you know, did a bunch mm. of plays and he was just so comfortable and so amazing on stage. Yeah, it was really wonderful. Wow, that that is incredible. I I would have loved to have been there. I learned about it right after it happened. Oh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I would have tooled up there to see that. In in researching, I came across um, an article written about you that was actually um, a Report for America core member. And hmm. I remember when Report for America was an idea and it grew out of ground truth, um, which is this idea of of restoring journalism into the world in a way that we've kind of we've gotten so far away from all all of the newspapers that were local newsrooms closing etc mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's this idea of um observation at levels that we're losing and what does that mean in the stories that we're told or what we yeah. hear about I like what you said about um, how photojournalism is moving more towards art. I think about that in terms of we're so much more visually sophisticated. Right. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, visual literacy has just really changed so much. I mean, we're just so inundated. We're just there's so much in a visual culture now. Yeah. Um, for better and, and for worse. Yes. And also access, like how that provides access. Mm -hmm. Like I think, you know, when we talked about coming in with a feather and hitting with a cast iron, I think we enter with art and then you learn a story, right? Mm -hmm. So there's an aesthetic pull that then brings all this other type of mm -hmm. awareness. Mm -hmm. I think that's so interesting. And if we just, I, I'd love to touch upon, um, about funding, about the idea, this is your second book, you self-published and then worked mm -hmm. with a publisher, like anything that you want to, to share about that trajectory. That's, yeah. it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, it is. And I think about a lot, um, you know, the men who I watch operate in this field and sometimes those differences and is that you know how much of that is gender how much of that is um generational you know I'm hoping that a lot of the things that I feel like I have to overcome are, are not necessarily things that you know a photographer 10 15 20 years younger than me would have to mm -hmm. um yeah uh but no funding is is definitely challenging and you know the accessibility is so wonderful that you know you don't have to have um an expensive camera and you don't have to have all of this knowledge of how it works um you know but i you know along with that it also means it's so much more competitive and it's so much you know kind of harder to get your work out there mm -hmm. kind of yeah. too um yeah to kind of um get above the noise almost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any journalism background, um, but they needed a photographer and they had a connection with the, the very tiny college I went to. Anyway, so I was there, but I first started looking for like, you know, another job, a, 
at a daily newspaper right after September 11th. Oh. Uh-huh. And then, so that was a key moment in like the beginning of my career. And then um, left the Concord Monitor and won the Pulitzer and went on to the Rocky Mountain News in Denver the year of the Great Recession. And then the paper I went to closed. Um, there's been a lot of um, like sort of significant um, you know, milestones that have sort of coincided with my career mm-hmm. um, that also have a lot of economic implications. That's been sort of interesting to weather mm-hmm. 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 and witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then finding your way into how to tell the stories that you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And figuring out just how to, yeah, how to, how to fund stuff and how to, yeah, try to, you know, um, find your own path and survive mm-hmm. and do the work you want to do and sustain it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, anything that you want to share about the process of of book making as we kind of wrap because you have a very different experience right of of almost like the self-published artist book mm-hmm. to working with a publisher what what would you like to share about that yeah i i was really um, I really loved both experiences mm. and would do both experiences again, would do both sort of methods again. Um, at the time, I just left newspapers when I was putting together the Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea project. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had been, you know, working with people in the newsroom and like sort of fighting those dynamics. And I just really wanted just to do it my way. I mean, that was just what I wanted. Um, and so that was really wonderful, you know, working with a tiny team of, you know, people who were close to me and, and just making all the decisions myself and having full creative control. Um, and yeah, and, and it taught me so much about the bookmaking process, which was super helpful. Um, and also gave me some confidence, you know, because I did it you know, with two other people and sort of Mm -hmm. making it up as we went along and was really happy with um, how we came out and was able to fund it through Kickstarter, which was, you know, great. Um, Yeah, so I think that, you know, and and that that book is almost 10 years old now. And I still, you know, I feel pretty proud of it. Like, I feel like it's still, you know... um, I feel like I still identify with it and, you know, feel like it's a pretty good expression of that project and that work at that time. And then, you know, so then fast forward, I've been working, you know, independently, running my own business, trying to maintain an art practice, you know, all these years, and then really just want to work with other people and not have to do, <laughs> not have to be like the the one man band. And, um, and so working with Gost has been really great. Uh, you know, the financials, just to be frank, are, you know, pretty similar um, doing it myself versus working with um, a publisher. But it's it's been really wonderful working with the Goss team and um, and it's been able to broaden the audience so much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whereas before. I don't know if we did many 
uh, you know, it was pretty much all U.S. sales, I imagine. It was super small, artist-run, 150 books. Um, and and so this just being able to, you know, like meet you and, um, yeah, it's been, I feel like the reach is, is, is a lot bigger. And that's that's been really great to be able to share the work with a broader audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, everything in this book is a universal theme which yeah needs little translation yeah hopefully that's the goal I mean it is so like you know American and New England (laughs) and you know rural you know I think the rural America stuff is interesting now in in a different way sort of in the post-Trump era Mm. um but you know and also it's you know it's not lost on me it's like doing a story about two white men um <laughs> you know which is not something and that's usually uh not something I usually gravitate toward um but you know but I but I hope that it's that there are enough universal themes that it does feel um like other people can relate to it even though it's you know a, it's definitely about or part of it is it's you know hinged on this very specific experience in American culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, do you? What is your first printing? Do you know that? I mean, you would know the number of books. Uh-huh. That, yeah. What did they do? Seven fifty is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's still pretty small, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I love the independent photo book publishers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm just, and again, like the financials are tough. I mean, it's really yeah. hard. Um, yep. Photo book publishing, just the production of it has gotten so much more expensive, yeah. you know, since the pandemic. Paper. And yeah, yeah. <sighs> and and the price of books hasn't changed that much. Um, I actually fought to get the retail price up for my book because, you know, I just think that's, it's still very accessible and that's, that's very important for me mm-hmm. um, that the work that I do be accessible and also, you know, the object of the photo book, you know, is so much more accessible than buying a print or something mm-hmm. like that. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I love that about the form. The yeah. I, form. I hope that um, this engenders exhibition because I always look at exhibition mm-hmm. as this opportunity for education. And obviously this is opens up so many things. I mean, there's even the idea, there's the whole grief process, but there's also the mental health issues of mm-hmm. it. Um, in my research, it, I ended up going into some UK um, literature on the philosophy of grief which was hmm. fascinating and 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 in my own experience having had um plenty of exposure to this area of work the idea of good grief hmm. um you know of of there being good deaths um it's mm-hmm. it's very yeah. very interesting like how mm-hmm. i think about curating what it can um expand how it can be that mm-hmm. kind of root system for people um so i i hope that that happens and one yeah. one one curiosity one of my my last question i guess is are you going to get to paris photo with this yes Yay. yes i will be going to paris photo. Mm-hmm. and actually just got an email that uh trying to figure out what day it will do a signing 
because Gost has a table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I will be there and love to meet people. Yeah, well, I've never been, so I'm really excited. Cool. Well, I would love to meet you because I will be there too. Person, and, great. Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, I've been there ever since. I missed one year between the last ten. Um, because it's just, it's a feast and, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's a wonder. Um, and now the books are as competing and compelling as the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So, um, I'll actually be using the podcast again to, to amplify it as I did last year and, and do something called, um, I call it Paris photo in your pocket, because one of the things I love to do is interview people. So I just do it on the ground, uh, for people who aren't able to get there. And I have to say that I'm, it's a deer in the headlights experience. And part of my having (laughs) gone a lot is how to get ready for that, because Mm. you can totally just, there's just so many options and they're all at the same time and it's not only that fair it's concurrent fairs the the Saint-Germain photo fair has 70 galleries and that's just the spaces that's not the talks or the book signing and then you've got Paris photo and polycopies and other book art fairs and Paris is a celebration of photography so the metro is filled you come out of the metro and there's outdoor exhibitions everywhere it's yeah. just a hoot. You're going to have a blast. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait. And I actually bookmarked a couple of your podcasts to, to get a little bit of a, um, a little tutorial on what to expect. Good, yeah. good. Yeah. And actually, right now, I, I, I sell the curated portion of Paris Photo in Your Pocket, but you, people can go to last year and actually access it because after it was like when it came up to like nine months after and we're getting ready for the new one, I just let that material out. And it's mm-hmm. fascinating because I was able to walk through with curators or artists in real time with the work. There's the whole L Times Paris photo, which I love, which is a trail within that just is specifically women in photography. Um, Fiona Rogers from the Parasol Foundation at the VNA is doing the curating this year. Um, mm. Yeah, it's and wait, you'll see. There's platforms. There's artist talks. It, you, you have to like, yeah, you don't sleep, and you just go to as many <laughs> things as you can, and yeah, and you make up for it later. It's super yeah, fun. Overload your brain. Yeah, yeah, yep. It's it's like that masochistic good thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Caffeine, little sleep. Yeah. Well, this has been terrific and yay. I get to meet you in person. I'll track you down. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to go for years, so really looking forward to meeting new people and then connecting with friends who I don't ever get to see in the States. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's some place where I, I there's a laugh. Rania Matar and I always say we see each other more there, and we live yeah. like a half an hour from each other. Oh, that's so totally. So yeah. bonkers. But so thank you very much for this. Thank time. you so much, Sibba. This was a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending the time with my work and inviting me on the show. And yeah. That's real pleasure. Thank you for joining our conversation. For more ways to impact the concept development of your own work, 
please consider joining one of my online workshops and also joining me virtually at Paris Photo. My work focuses on how you see and why it matters, and my services offer practical and applicable tools to add to your existing creative practice. More information can be found under the Services tab on my website, jsibillasmith.com. And if you enjoy our podcast, please follow, subscribe, rate, and review. We appreciate when you share this resource and give us a shout out. Concept Aware is being listened to by the thousands in over 60 countries. Please connect on other social media platforms where you will find me under J. Sibylla. I use all these methods to engage and expand our global visual culture conversation.